what we're talking about over last week, this week, and, and two weeks from now is the idea of invest, invite, and include. Now, what, what this is, is you could look this up in the Bible and not find it. Okay, there's no book in the Bible called Invest, Invite, Include. There's no section in the Bible that focuses on this. And so in one sense, it's nowhere in the Bible, but in another sense, it's everywhere. That what this is, is kind of a shorthand that we've come up with to try to help us understand how to live out the life that we have in Christ. How do we connect in light of what God has done to us and for us and through us? How do we connect best with the people in our lives? How do we invest in them? How do we invite them to share in that life? And once they have, how do we include them in that life? Well, today, what we're going to talk about is the whole process of inviting. And sometimes that's an easy thing to do for us. Sometimes not so much. You know, inviting can sometimes be a scary thing because there's a certain amount of risk involved. And here's here's the definition of inviting that we're working with. What's it look like? It involves three invisible words that were much clearer on my computer when I put this thing together than when it shows up right now, okay? So inviting is taking the risk of inviting someone to share your life in Christ, okay? Taking the risk of inviting someone to share your life in Christ. You know, last time I was up here, I used a lighter blue, and John mocked me. He's like, oh, look at that light blue. That's not a man's blue. You need to use a man's blue. So I listened to him. I think he was trolling me. I think he was trying to pull me in and, and, and get me to pick an invisible color. So here, he'd already chosen all the visible ones. So here's the thing. Anytime you ask somebody to do something, there's a risk. Anytime you invite somebody to do something, there's a small amount of risk. Sometimes it's just an emotional one. Sometimes it's a lot more. I mean, it was a risk when I asked Wendy out for the first time. We were in high school. We go all the way back to high school. I'd kind of had my eye on her for a long time. I was really stoked when we ended up in the same class, and they sat us alphabetically, so I had a couple months to kind of wear her down. And... um, and then, but I, but I was wanting to ask her out, but I didn't want to take the risk because if I ask her, she might say no, right? Um, Jason's probably, I've never had anybody say no to him, but, you know, the rest of us, you know, it, 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 it's at least a possibility. And so, and so I was supposed to be this big track star, and I blew out my knee playing basketball. So I figured my life can't get any worse at this point, so I will ask her. So if she says no it won't be that big a deal. Well, she said yes, and yes again when we got married, and yes to a lot of other nice things. And so, in fact, one of the cool things was last Sunday was our anniversary. So it was really kind of cool to celebrate our anniversary and our kids' graduation at the same time. A lot of of nice stuff right now. But the thing is, is that inviting someone to share part of your life is, there's a certain amount of risk. And if you're really going to share and not just invite somebody to something trivial, there's a certain amount of risk that goes along with that as well. You know, it's, it's, it's not easy. And then if we're inviting them to share what we share with Christ, we know that's kind of a big deal. That's not a trivial thing. You know, it, it's one thing to share simple things. You know, it's one thing to invite somebody to let's talk about Taylor Swift's latest breakup song or, you know, 
you could talk to me about, we got to go to Pat's, the king of cheesesteaks in Philadelphia while we were on the East Coast. And uh, it was pretty awesome. It was my first time eating a genuine Philadelphia cheesesteak. So that was, that was pretty cool. So I could invite you to talk about that. Or Wendy has been like this amazing sock knitting person. And I wrote this down so I'd get it right. Um, she could invite you to talk about learning the eye of the partridge heel turn stitch that makes um, the heels of, of these socks that she's making just absolutely amazing. But when it comes to inviting somebody to share part of your life that matters, that's a little scarier, and it's a little harder to do. And yet, that is what God calls us to do. It is a, a great way to think about what we're doing. Now, inviting does mean, hopefully along the way, hey, do you know Jesus? Have you given your life to him? Do you know what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Or even prior to that, hey, you might want to come to some things at my church, you know, we have barbecues. We have Great Gatsby greeting groups, which will be really awesome. Um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things like that. But inviting means more than just that. It really is inviting people to share our lives. So how do you do that? What's, what's a good role model for that? Well, like a lot of Christian things, Jesus is a pretty good role model. Jesus was a good inviter. If you've familiar somewhat with how the Bible goes, you know that Jesus would just roll up to people and say, hey, follow me. And they would. And they would. So here's an example. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, Jesus is inviting people to follow him. And Philip is, is one of the guys. He becomes one of the 12 disciples. And he comes up to Philip. And as you can see it there, he finds Philip. He comes up to him and says, follow me. And Philip does. It works. Jesus is awesome at this. He, and, he, and he does this a lot. You know, he goes to Matthew one time when he's working. Follow me. Matthew basically says, okay. And he follows him. Now, here's the deal. I think a lot of us assume that the reason that Jesus could pull this off is because he's Jesus. Because, you know, he's God's son. Because he has, like, this special Messiah kung fu ninja svengali thing where he could just talk to people and they do what he wants right and we kind of assume that a lot of what jesus does is because he's jesus and we're not and so there's there's not a whole lot we can do about that but actually and we're, and we're going to develop this more next month we're going to do another uh, amazing stories series and we're going to look at um four episodes at the beginning of jesus career But here's the deal. Almost everything that Jesus did with his life, he did not because he was God, but because he was a man who was fully obedient and fully yielded to God. That he was filled with the Spirit and completely empowered by God. And so in that sense, we can take a look at how and why Jesus does what he did, and it's entirely accessible to us. You know, you you could watch how Michael Jordan played or, or the way LeBron played, and if you're not... Michael or LeBron, there's not a whole lot that you can get from that. But what really empowered Jesus to do what he did, especially when it came to inviting people, is entirely accessible to us. Okay? So, where did it start with Jesus? That was a joke that didn't work very well. Um, so, <laughs> this is why you, when you do it twice, you know, you figure out a few things. Um, Okay, Jesus knew two key things, and these are two key things that are completely knowable 
and doable for us. The first was that Jesus knew who he was with God. He had that completely squared away. Who he was in relationship to the Father, Jesus knew and understood and had completely squared away. The second, I did it. I always hit the wrong button with this. If my thumbs could speak, they would stutter or mumble. Thank you. All right, here we go. Ta-da, and yes! Okay. (laughs) Jason was encouraging me and mocking me before, like, you're going to hit the right buttons, right? And here we go. Justin. I had the J right. I'm really struggling here. All right. Let's just roll the tape back and start over again. Okay. (laughs) Jesus knew two things, okay? (laughs) He knew who he was with God. And the second thing was, is he knew what God was doing in the world. He had a sense of who he was, and he had a sense of where he was going. And both of those things are completely accessible to us. And God can do the same thing with us that he did with Jesus. So, how did it work out with Jesus? Well, you might remember at the beginning of Jesus' life, he goes to be baptized by John the Baptist. And um, as he's coming up out of the water, a voice speaks down from heaven. And the voice says this. It says to him, You are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. I've got to think that this was not just a cool moment that was added to the story for our benefit or that, that the Luke needed a, a snappier situation here. God did this, the Father did this for Jesus to provide for him a really profound place of strength. That from this point on, there had to be points where Jesus had some doubts about what he was doing. And we know in the garden right before he was crucified, Jesus, he didn't have doubts, but man, he sure didn't want to go down that road. But at every point in his career, Jesus knew these things. He knew that he was God's son. He knew that he belonged to God. Moreover, he knew that he was loved by God. That he belonged to God and that the Lord passionately and deeply loved him. And not only that, but that he liked him. He liked what he was doing. To say that he was well pleased means basically I I like you and like what you're doing. I hope that you've had a good experience of being a son or daughter, and that's been helpful to you. I think most of us have experienced love in one way or another from parents, from siblings, um, from, from spouses, from kids, hopefully here as part of the life of our church. And it's nice when people just like what you're doing and they like you because of that. And the Lord did that for Jesus. And going forward, Jesus knew that this was true. He knew his identity, that he was God's son. He knew no matter what, he was loved by God. And that God liked what he was doing. But the key thing here, guys, is that this was not unique to Jesus. This is something that the Lord is very happy to do for each of us. There's a passage in 1 John that kind of reflects on this. And and you'll see kind of an echo of the language here of you're my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. It's 1 John 3.1. Let me just read that for you. It says, What great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. 
you notice almost all the stuff's there. We're God's sons or daughters, that God has loved us, and we really are. But did you notice the way that John kind of amps it up a little bit more? God just doesn't love us. He says he lavishes his love on us. That's a strong and powerful word. And you can even sense John's amazement in this passage. Do you see the way that he gets to it? It's like he writes it down. If, if you've read First John, it's a lot of like little short, snappy sayings. And you almost get the sense that John wrote that part. See, look, guys, what great love the Father has lavished on us. How great is that love? That we should be called children of God, sons and daughters of God. Isn't that awesome? And, and it's like John can't contain himself. And he, so he writes in, you know what? It's true. That is what we are. And so the question here for each of us, is that true for you? Do you know that that's the case? Do you know that you are his son? That you are his daughter? Have you let God give you the love that he longs to, to use John's term here, lavish upon you? Do you know and have you felt the power of knowing that God is well pleased with you? I'm seeing a lot of nice nodding heads. And I hope that that is the case for all of us, or it will soon be. Because as we saw with Jesus, and I can see in my own life and in a lot of other people's stories, there is something incredibly powerful, empowering, encouraging, in the very best sense of the word, to know those things that Jesus knew. To know that you are God's daughter, that you are his son. To know that he loves you. And to know that He is pleased with you. You don't have to be the Son of God to be God's Son. You don't have to be the the Christ to be God's daughter. That God longs to love each of us in the same powerful and transformative way that He did with Jesus. If you have that squared away, if you know that the Lord and Maker of the universe is completely and unalterably in your corner, that's a tremendously empowering thing. We can be children of God. And in fact, that's what we are if we'll just allow God to do that. So that was the first thing that Jesus knew. He knew that he was God's son. Not as a job description, but that God had picked him. The same God picks us as well. The second thing that Jesus knew, the second thing that Jesus really got and felt was this idea that he knew what God was doing in the world. It's really helpful to have a good sense of a plan to kind of know where you're going. We were just driving up and down um, the East Coast, and I'm, I'm getting better at this. I used to be like obsessively dialed in. I hate being lost. I hate being like, I don't know where we're going. And so I would just be completely dialed in. I'd have all kinds of notes. Now I have stuff on my phone. And the problem was is I I didn't have any adventure along the way either. It was only just stuff that I had planned out. But nevertheless, most of us feel more comfortable when we have a sense of where we're going, of where this is ending up, of whatever path we're on, the direction it's going to take. And Jesus clearly had that. He had a clear sense of what God had called him to do. We're going to look at one of those passages next month where Jesus opens up the scroll of Isaiah and knows, finds himself in that. But near the end of his, his life, in John chapter 14, Jesus is 
talking it over with his disciples. And, and they're trying to, they still don't get it. Jesus knows he's about to go to the cross. It's about to all end in terms of his face-to-face time with the disciples. And he's, it's pretty clear at this point that the guys don't get it. And he's trying desperately for them to get the story. And, and so they finally ask him, what, what is the path? Where are we going with this? What, what is God doing? Jesus had known this. And for Jesus, it was, it was pretty much this. Jesus realized along the way that God was working uniquely through him. And by the way, this is one place where Jesus is different than us. He's the only Savior. He's the only way. But notice what he says here. He says, this was what Jesus knew. And this is what gave Jesus the courage and the strength to go all the way to the cross. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus had an absolutely clear sense of what God had called him to do. And so, because Jesus knew that that was God's plan for him, it wasn't hard at all for him to invite people to share in that. You know, it's hard to invite somebody to a party where you don't know what's going to happen. You know, hey, I want you to come to this party. Well, who's going to be there? I don't know. And what's going to happen? Well, some people are going to do some stuff and then something's going to happen. That doesn't sound like a very fun party, right? But if you know where things are going, if you know what the plan is, you can invite people to it with a tremendous sense of confidence. And that was the other side of it. Jesus had a very clear sense of what God had called him to do. So much so that the Lord had made it very clear to Jesus and makes it very clear to us that if you want to live the life that God has for you, Jesus is the way you get there. And the only real truth that brings us to God is Jesus and what he said. And he is the source of that life. No one gets to the Father except through Jesus. Well, that that worked great for Jesus, but his disciples, who in the story are kind of standing in for us, they don't quite get it. It's like, okay, that's really cool, Jesus, but there's only room for one on the cross, so what do we do? What's our deal here? And he goes on in a couple more verses to basically lay out what it is for them. And he says this. He says, look, very truly I tell you, the Gospel of John, that's when Jesus really wants people to hear. Very truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and will do even greater things than these. So what Jesus is saying is, You want to know what your path is? That God is going to enable you and empower you to do absolutely amazing things. What Jesus did on the cross was unique to him, but all the rest of it, he just did that because he was a person that was empowered by the Spirit and obedient to God. And what he's saying is that all the really cool stuff that happens in the Gospels is entirely available to us. That we can do it too. I mean, look at, look at what he's saying here. He says, all the stuff that you've seen me doing, you guys will do even greater things. You'll do even better stuff than I have done. All that is available to you. So what does that look like specifically for each of us? I don't know. But what I do know is that if we yield ourselves to God, if we give ourselves up to Him and allow His Spirit to be at work and be obedient to Him in the way that we know how, God begins to do great things. He begins to do stuff that we could scarcely 
imagine. And a lot of times what holds us back is simply that. It's our imagination. That what God wants to do is so great and so beyond our experiences that we can't even see it along the way. But the Lord clearly wants to do that. For Jesus to have that same sense that I know that God has called me to do this great thing for humanity. God has called each of you and me, all of us here in the room, and on the podcast, I think I'm supposed to say, at one point here. God has called all of us to do great things, or even, in Jesus' words, greater things. And a lot of times, the reason you can't see it is because it's so good you haven't experienced it yet. And the only way you get there is to start down that path. The only way you get to the great future that God has had for you is you've got to step out your door and start along that way. But if you know that your life is headed towards great things, it's not that hard to invite people to get there. If your life's just about you, if it's just about your sensibilities, if it's just about your sense of who you are, then you've got to be kind of an egomaniac to invite people to share in that. And we've kind of known that person. I see him in the mirror periodically. But if we know that we are God's children, and we know that God has called us to something amazing, it's not about us. It's about what God has done. And it's not very hard to invite people to join us in something like that. Friends, that's what God wants us to do. When we talk about inviting, sure, it means inviting people to church and inviting them to be the church and the barbecue and all kinds of other stuff along the way. And it often involves small things, too, of just acts of kindness or inviting them to just see some places where you're a little concerned or a little afraid or a little troubled or inviting them to share in some good stuff that God has done in your life. But it's taking that risk to invite people to share in our life with Christ. So if we have these things down, if we know who we are in Christ and we know the path, that can be incredibly empowering and incredibly powerful along the way. I mean, I got to experience this a little bit last week when we were driving to the airport to come home. Um, I was driving in a car I'd never driven in before. It was this Mazda 5, which was this like shrunken minivan. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever driven. Um, it was kind of cool, but it was weird. What am I driving? Am I driving a mini? Anyway. That's a lot more compelling to me than it is to you. So anyway. Um, <laughs> but we were driving down this beautiful road in Connecticut and, and going to the Westchester Airport in, in New York. We got a much better rate than going out of the two big New York airports. But I'd never been there before. Had, and, and getting there was hard. The freeway didn't quite go there. So we pulled out our phones, and we, we have iPhones, and these have a really amazing mapping system. But you might remember when this phone came out, I think the mapping system had the Westchester Airport somewhere out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And, and so we used this hoping that it would work. And so we did. We went down the freeway or highway or whatever they call them there, um, beautiful trees on both sides. Grass is an indigenous plant, so it was very nice driving through this nice green thing. And then it came time to get off the highway and go to the airport. It was taking like this shortcut through Westchester County. And I counted it. 
there were 17 turns that we had to take between the highway and the airport. And I'm just like, Wendy's reading the things off, and I'm just like, okay, okay, okay. And I'm thinking, if this thing had been wrong, we would have gone off into the woods, and they'd just be finding us right now. We were so deep in the woods. But we made it. And it was amazing. We had this amazing drive, but because I was willing to trust a phone that had stuff plugged into it, we got to the airport quickly and efficiently and beautifully. You know, if I could do that with a phone, imagine what our lives are like if we could begin to trust God with our path, that God can do a bit more better than Apple can. And so, guys, that's what, when we talk about inviting, it's really taking care of the stuff underneath. Do you know that you've been loved by God? Have you grabbed onto that? Have you grabbed onto his, onto his love? Have you grabbed onto the fact that you are his daughter, that you are his son? And have you trusted him with your path? To trust you not just with what you could see, but the amazing stuff that's out ahead, that if you'll just let him direct you, it'll happen. If we can hold on to those two things, it gets easy to invite people into our lives because it's really not our life. It's the amazing thing that God is doing. But along the way, it just does tremendous things for us. So by all means, invite. But to get there, know that you are loved, that you are his son, that you are his daughter, and that God has a great path for you.